I'm Sam Mitchell, and these are my stories. Howdy, folks. Hope you're having a good day today. Let me the first welcome you to Autism Rocks and Rolls. Now, before we begin, I must know that I am not a doctor or psychiatrist. If you're starting to be diagnosed with autism, please see a physician. I only speak based on my experiences. I also do not own the right to the intro. Now, they were found on zedge.com and 3mp3.buzz. I also have a mission statement I'd like to review with everyone. The mission of Autism Rocks and Rolls is to take the stigma off of autism and other conditions that may think are disabilities. People on the spectrum are not broken and do not need to be fixed. Those who have conditions or abilities don't want to be paid, there's nothing to be sorry about. I also have some paid for the following. ABA Therapy Clinic Unlocking the Spectrum has partnered with Autism Rocks and Rolls for the April 16th Gala. Gala successful on how do we get there. Tickets will be available in January 2022. Key members believe that everyone is capable of success. Christine Hensley, a member of the Indiana family, Voices of Indiana, should be commended as well. She and this company have a goal, which is to make people living with disabilities thrive. Ms. Hetchy is also donating items to my gala. Around the world, your work, both in and out of the gala, is well respected. In February 2022, I got my first speaking engagement. I will speak at Eastern Oklahoma Autism Conference in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Attend this conference to hear me and another amazing keynote speaker. In this podcast, you'll also hear about Stonebelt. This is because they are supporting our podcast and the gala event. And it's been a resource for those who are on the spectrum as well as those with other physical or mental conditions since 1958. It is a source you should check out. Now, there are also some people I'd like to thank. First, I want to thank Christian R. for showing me an amazing product that helps you lose weight. Check the website for more information. Secondly, I must acknowledge my man, Jeffrey Berger. During our free consolation, my knowledge was related to mental health. The most important aspect of mental health is the gut health. Thank you for sharing valuable information with me. Next is Melissa Sexton and the Riley Children's Hospital Autism Foundation will be next to my list of recipients. She is also a sponsor of our gala and we'll all be donating to Riley a percentage of our profits. I am thankful for the work they do and I value your willingness to assist me. Melissa and Riley's Children's Hospital are praised through Autism Rocks and Rolls Corporation. Now, folks, we'll be right back when here about Green County General Hospital, so let's get to it. According to Grace Cross, there is Greene County General Hospital located in Linton, Indiana. We offer a broad scope of health services at the hospital as well as four medical clinics located throughout Greene County. My Linton Clinic, my Worthington Clinic, my Westgate Clinic, and my Bloomfield Clinic. We also offer an orthopedic and sports medicine center with Dr. John Hammerstein located in Linton, Indiana, and a women's health center located at my Linton Clinic with two board-certified OBGYNs. Dr. Laura Walton, and Dr. Sonia Williams. Check out our website for more information, greencountygeneralhospital.com, and enjoy the podcast, everyone. All right, we're back, and yes, thank you for telling me that you'll enjoy this podcast because you will. Boy, do we have a treat for you all today. I would like to welcome Mr. Monday Night, The Whole Damn Show, and Rob Van Dam, or as an abbreviation, RVD, to Autism Rocks and Rolls. During the 1990s, RVD became one of the most popular wrestlers in the business and performed the five-star frog splash. RVD has a lot of championships under the belt, such as ECW World Tag Team Championship and Hardcore Intercontinental and even the ECW TV Championship. Over the years, RVD has called ECW, Impact Wrestling, and WWE home. Today, he is here, folks. Please welcome my very special guest, RVD. Welcome, man. How you doing? Excellent. Excellent, man. Thanks for that big uh, five-star intro. Yeah, well, I think it's a maybe a 10-star. All right. All right. <laughs> now also my first question is we're going to talk about one of your big moments which is you won the wwe championship in 26 so how did you feel when you got the belt you're talking about when i beat john cena for the yep. i felt great i felt vindicated and i felt triumphant 
because I felt like it was a win for ECW and that's where my heart and passion really were. I love the hardcore style. That's definitely where I'm best showcased. And I stuck to my guns, even though everybody trying to change me, Sam, people kept trying to change my style, me to conform and it's always different. The more comfortable I got with being different, the more strength I put into that because I realized that people enjoyed what was different about me. And so that was always a struggle. And when I beat John Cena for the uh, world championship, that was my entire career all built up into that moment. So it wasn't just like doing a couple of promos leading into a big match. This was my entire career, everything I stood for against the style that was mainstream and shoved down the throats of people that didn't necessarily prefer that. So biggest win ever for me, for my principles. Like I said, vindicated is a great word. And that crowd that night was crazy. The support 100% behind me and wanting to see me win. So that was definitely the moment, the crowning moment of my career. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with you there. Now, your style is, as we know, hardcore. Why do you like that style in particular? I think that it's because I think outside of the box. You know, I'm a lot different with my approach to the world i'm different my behavior is different than other people you know i'm cool i'm laid back i'm relaxed and chill whatever the hardcore environment allows you to throw the rule book away and get really creative so even early in my career i enjoyed jumping out of the ring and fighting like in the crowd and i enjoyed being creative i was doing moonsaults off the guardrail in japan when I was just in my early 20s and nobody was doing anything like that. They all thought I was crazy. But for me, honestly, a lot of it is showing off, showing off moves that I think are cool that maybe people haven't thought of or haven't seen and also showing off my durability because that's one of my strengths is I can take a lot of punishment. Yeah, I would definitely say that you're probably up there with like the hardcore like Mick Foley and Al Snow. You're definitely up there. Do you think, though, sometimes with punishment that you've crossed the line? Like you took too much. You're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. That was too far. Um, Too hardcore? In a way, yeah. Well, there have been a time or two when I took a risk that didn't pay off in my favor. One time that comes to mind in ECW, we had Bam Bam Bigelow, I think it was on the table. And Sabu and I used to be on the top rope on opposite corners and we would jump at the same time. Usually he would do a leg drop, I would do a splash. Sometimes we'd both do leg drops, but we put someone through a table in the middle. It was a great move to do. The crowd went nuts with it. But one time I, and when I did the leg drop, the way the table broke, it didn't just break and collapse in the middle. It broke and went to the outside and a jagged piece of wood sliced through my eyelid, almost lost my eye. I had to get stitches in my eyelid later on that night and you know that made me realize that that some precautions were a good idea i didn't stop doing the move but what i did after that every time i would hit i would put my hands over my face just in case that happened again yeah just to make sure you don't go the surgery eyelid way again that was not fun oh yeah i've had surgeries that aren't fun the big one for me was the wisdom teeth surgery i recently had that's 
probably the top five worst surgeries I've had, or it's in the top five at least. Hopefully uh, you don't beat that. Yeah, I have definitely did. Now, I also want to talk about your first appearance on the professional wrestling scene, which was actually you not being a wrestler. It was you kissing the million-dollar man's feet. How did that happen? How did you feel to be, like, in the ring for the very first time? Oh, I was super excited. I guess I already knew that I wanted to be a wrestler when I grew up, so I was, like, a huge fan. Me and my best friend, Dango, we were at a show that wasn't televised, but everybody in town knew that they were going to be filming a special segment with this new character we'd seen on TV, the Million Dollar Man. And partway through the show, they turned the lights on and stuff, and the camera crew came out, so everybody knew this was going to be a special moment, and we ran down from our cheap seats all the way to the guardrail, trying to get on TV. That's what we wanted. Dollar bills dropped from the ceiling and were raining all over on the crowd. When Ted DiBiase and Virgil got in the ring, he said he needs a volunteer and he ended up pointing right at me. I jumped the guardrail and got in the ring and uh, it was like a dream come true. My buddy Dango always said that Ted was pointing at him and that I just jumped over the guardrail quicker, but I don't think that's true. Yeah, I would I would agree with that for sure. I mean, it, it's definitely a dream. And the cool part for me was you were not with NWE calls a plant where they weren't meant to select you. Yeah, that's true. I was at a show in South Bend, Indiana maybe a month or two later and souvenir program that they used to have at the shows, it would change like uh, every month. When we were in Indiana, I bought a program. I was at this show by myself too, no friends, Uh, but I was looking through the program and there was a photo of me in the ring kissing Ted DiBiase's foot from several weeks before. And I was excited. I tapped the guy's shoulder next to me. I was like, dude, look at that. You see that picture? I go, does that kid look familiar? And the guy looked at it and goes, Oh, those are all plants. He goes, that's all set up before. In this case, it wasn't. Yeah, I was like, dude, look at him. It's I had the exact same green Jake the Snake shirt on, the same white shoes, the same blue jeans. I was dressed the same. I, you know, I had look at me, look at that, dude. That's of course then I was able to tell him that wasn't set up at all. And I made my first wrestling money, $100, which was a lot of money for me at the time. Although I could have negotiated a way better deal. That's why I want to be a better deal at your age with how you were feeling, just how you were. And even though it was from the million dollar man and you had to kiss disgusting feet. I mean, that was kind of a price to pay. Did you use mouthwash after? (laughs) I hope so. I was so excited. I would have kissed Virgil's foot for free too. Uh, And you also attended WrestleMania three. So where were you see, were you like in the back, like the middle or like the front ish? I was on the floor, not up in the stands. At the time, I thought I was in the 24th row, but knowing what I know now about the way the venues are set up, it must have just been the 24th row of that section because I wasn't near the ring. They had a big screen above the ring that was showing what was going on and it was easier to see the screen than see the actual action in the ring because we were on the floor. Close enough to where I remember screaming and thinking the wrestlers could maybe hear me. That's close enough. Now, what was your favorite match from that evening? I was really looking forward to Hercules and Billy Jack Haynes. I really liked Hercules. 
And I like Billy Jack Haynes. But I think probably because I was such a fan and I was wrapped up in the excitement of the main event. So seeing Hulk Hogan body slam Andre the Giant, that probably left the, the biggest impression on me. But as a fan of action and exciting wrestling, it was definitely the Ricky Steamboat, Macho Man Randy Savage match that just raised the bar and set new standards. And through the wrestling experience, I've had the privilege of meeting stars. You one of them, but obviously meeting Mick Foley and Al Snow, and they're they're pretty cool guys. So yeah, I've known Al Snow since I started in the business. Like I started training in December of 89. And then in 1990, I had my first dozen matches or so. And Al Snow was in a few of those. I don't know if it was my my third or fourth match. I remember in Detroit and he was a promoter in Lima, Ohio. So I would also wrestle for him when I was starting out. He called me and my partner, Dango, the Kangaroos, which was already a team way back in the day, the Flying Kangaroos. If they already called the Flying Kangaroos, who was the mommy? Who was the Joey? I never had that part figured out. And we both had our pockets hanging out of our pants. So we probably <laughs> probably both uh, looked ridiculous. We wore yeah. those Zubats pants and our, and our pockets were hanging out. How would you describe Al Snow from your perspective? Well, he's a good guy. He's funny. And uh, he definitely really cares about the business. You know, I remember the first time I went to Japan, him and his partner at the time was Machine Gun Mike Kelly, who's passed on now. I remember, I don't remember how we communicated, if it was a phone call, because I don't think we had cell phones back then. But anyway, he was like, hey, Rob, you know, I know you're, you got connections to Japan now. He's like, me and Al would love to go to Japan because they, they had never gone. And I was too young to really have an opinion on if they were good wrestlers or not. But I know I liked them and liked the matches and they certainly knew a lot more than me. I was just starting out. Al's always been a good guy. He cares a lot about the business. He's always been someone to be in or near an office position and or trainer. Now, I also want to talk to you about Sabu and Kane, probably your two biggest tag team partners. So how, how would you describe Sabu from your perspective and Kane, I guess, from your perspective? Sabu got in the ring with me and trained me with the Sheik's tutelage. And a lot of my style as far as uh, being hardcore is because of that, because of Sabu and because of Sheik. You know, Sabu was like the first guy to start putting people through tables. And we were always, like I said, thinking outside the box, trying to do moves that we hadn't seen that were fun, that, that were impressive. And the other wrestlers always seemed to like watching our matches because we were doing crazy stuff, diving out into the crowd and in whatever. Sabu originated a lot of stuff. He's an OG. I don't know if he'll ever get the credit that he deserves because of a lot of political stuff that you have to do to navigate through the waters in this business. It's not just about what you do in the ring. It's, it's about how you carry yourself out and relationships and all kinds of stuff. Kane is one of the coolest guys in WWE. It's amazing he's been there so long and he remains so cool because a lot of times being on the road nonstop, dealing with that environment can get toxic and people can get frustrated with promises being told on the direction they're going to go and then plans changing over and over and over. That happens to everybody. I was always impressed that Kane was always uh, so cool for being a top guy. And I liked it when we teamed up, when he would hold the guy up like a choke slam, not come off the top rope and kick the guy in the face. Sounds like I haven't seen that from you guys through clips. I need to watch it. And I've heard Kane's a pretty good guy outside of the ring. He is. He's a mayor now, I believe. 
He is a mayor. And I think based on the mayor, he seems like a good one based on knowledge, what I've seen and research. Well, I just saw him a few months ago when we both got inducted into the Hall of Fame in April. Well, I guess almost a year ago now. Oh, yeah, almost a year. Also, I want to talk about your character. Your character, honestly, is a laid back, cool type guy. I'm like, yeah, whatever type of guy. So does your character represent you at all outside of the ring? Do you think your character is you in a way? I totally do. And that's been a struggle when you have writers that don't understand who you are and then they have ideas of things you would say and things that they want you to do that just doesn't feel right. And that was an issue sometimes. Like when I first got to WWE, they wanted me to do a love angle with Stephanie. And I was really uncomfortable with it because my ex-wife was very insecure. And that would have got me like in so many fights at home and stuff if I was seen on TV being affectionate with another girl. But anyway, we had to talk it out and it took a while. And Stephanie said, just act like you're an actor, you know, and you're just doing a part. I said, okay, but then you got to change my name because I'm Rob Van Dam. I've been Rob Van Dam for 10, 12 years, whatever it was. I guess 10 years before I went to WWE, but definitely a difference. The difference is that I am outside of the ring. I'm very passive. I'm not going to be the one uh, that's going to jump out of my seat when someone comes in the room and challenges everybody, but that's part of wrestling. Like what? I get a shot at the Intercontinental title. I'm going to take that shot. But in real life, like you would really, really have to work hard to convince me that I got to beat you up. Now, do you do, do you also throw your hands outside sometimes when you don't realize it? Not when I don't realize it, but people recognize me everywhere I go because I've been on TV for so long and I haven't changed my look very much. And I take a lot of photos uh, when I leave the house everywhere I go and I'm still doing the thumb. So I got to Got to keep my bicep looking awesome. Look at that, Sam. Bam! Whoa! Got to keep in shape for these photos all day. Yeah, definitely. Those are those are big biceps. R-V-D. But yeah, definitely RVD. Totally RV, yes. man. It's the it's the whole damn show. Yes, sir. All day, every day. Yes, sir. And I also want to talk about your return when you returned to 2013. So let me ask you, what made you decide to return? Okay, I was wrestling for Impact Wrestling and my contract ran out. I had a three-year contract and we were talking about extending it and business was dragging. Every detail worked out on the new contract except for when it would start. And you know who the guy from the Impact office was? They kept telling me every week, oh, I'm sorry, Rob, I, 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 we should have it tomorrow and we'll email it to you. You know who that guy was? El Snow. Oh, lovely. <laughs> what a turd, I guess. Yeah, it was just his position. He kept saying, I don't know why Bruce Pritchard, um, he told me he was going to have the contract ready. I don't know. Well, during that time, I went and I watched my friend Booker T get inducted into the Hall of Fame. While I was there, it was great to see everybody, you know, and they started asking questions. And that's what led to me going back and doing a, a little run in 2013. I was there for just a 90-day run. And then I went back a year later for a five-month run in 2014. And do you, do you think back then you were limited? Like you were limited, you couldn't do what you did back you, what you did in 26 due to your age or... I know you still took risk. I, I saw that, believe me. But do you think you were limited 
what you could do partially? Or do you think you, there were no limits to you at all? I don't think there was any limits at all. In 2013, my return was something they wanted. And they promoted it maybe heavier than anybody's return. They kept showing these trailers of RVD doing flips out of the ring and kicks and all my moves. And so I was like, wow, that's what they want to see. That's what I'm going to give them. Had a great return. I kicked ass for 90 days and then I was done. And then they were like, hey, you know, you know, let us know like when you want to come back and do another run. I never heard from them again. And then it was like a year later, they came to the town that I lived in, LA, and I stopped in, said hi to guys. And, you know, I said, what about another uh, return? They were like, oh, oh, okay, you ready? But it wasn't something that they had uh, any plans for. So I went back and did that five month return and it, it really sucked. They didn't have a position for me. Batista was making his big return. They were concentrating on him. And I don't think I won a match uh, the whole time until I finally kind of got mad and, and at the end I said you know what this sucks let's just forget it and cut the contract right now you guys I was just so tired of them uh, putting me under and they were like oh oh, we didn't we didn't realize like uh, you know we should have talked first and boom 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 they kind of left on that note where I did finish out my deal and after I spoke up you know then uh, miraculously I was doing better but I was already at the very end so I was, I was very limited in that fashion as far as like I couldn't be the whole effing show I was there to make the Usos look good or whatever it really wasn't good i mean the fans still would cheer for me and stuff but it wasn't good for my overall record or for my reputation or for my relationship with them because i never wanted to go back afterwards and i just thought of though you did win some matches it was just it just wasn't against the best opponents <laughs> case in point damian sandow but continue <laughs> i remember that i wrestled cesaro and and uh and beat him like the last match i think it might have been SummerSlam or something and i was like man he's like the best guy there in my opinion at least that's what i thought at the time and, and i was like um i hated to see him get beat out of everybody but that's part of it somebody wins and somebody loses every night but when you ask me about being limited that's the only way that i felt limited um, also i you want to talk about more with you train with the sheik you said once there was a story while you were inducting i can't remember who i think the sheik himself you said while you were training you i think you attempted to push his buttons a little and you like showed him a weak headlock and then he'd come in the ring and say, show me a headlock. You're like, I've already done that. Show me again. Yeah, you couldn't do anything rough enough for the sheep. Like he trained us to just really like be really rough and manhandle each other and push each other and pull each other around. Anytime my opponent's shoulders were on the mat, I should dive on him and try and pin him. I shouldn't be looking at the crowd and posing and stuff. I'm trying to win a match. And he was very aggressive in that manner. So he was always trying to tell us, you know, that we were wrestling like girls. <laughs> if we're trying to fire us up and make he seemed though like he demanded respect at the same time oh yeah and he was scary too and he roughed everybody up you know at that time he had like a fork or something in his trunks and he would just cut everyone's forehead up him and abdul the butcher wrestled each other one of my first matches in vermont and sabu and i uh, knew to stay away from those two guys because they had a big pull apart and everyone in the dressing room emptied out to pull them apart while they're fighting each other and uh, they cut everybody up with blades they cut everybody nobody even knew they came back and nobody knew where the blood was coming from and they Wipe their own foreheads. They're like, whoa, what happened? Not really safe using the same blade on everybody. And uh, Sabu and I were smart enough to, to get out of there and not be around that. But we were not smart enough in the way that we just did our own thing and kind of took the attention off, went to business for ourselves. And we were supposed to just pull everyone apart, but we wanted to make it through safely. Learning experience for everybody. 
Right, that's what we all need in life. Now, folks, we'll be right back. We're going to hear about the ad for Barrow Maryland Ridge. So let's hear it. There is a hidden gem in eastern Greene County, folks. Fowler's Pumpkin Patch and the Barn on Maryland Ridge Wedding Barn. Autism Rocks and Rolls is very proud to tell you about our friends, Perry and Renee Fowler, and their place of business. Both Fowler Pumpkin Patch and the Barn on Maryland Ridge is a relaxing drive approximately 15 minutes from the heart of Bloomington, Indiana, and an hour south of Indianapolis. You can find them at 5347 South Greene County Line Road, Bloomington, Indiana, 47403. The property has numerous picture locations including several rolling fields, antique tractors, red and rustic barns, trees, and much more. Customized wedding packages are offered on their website. The surrounding area also provides several hotels in which to have your guests stay for your destination wedding. Also, Fowler's Pumpkin Patch is a family-owned and operated seasonal pumpkin patch. It's the perfect place to take your family for some fall fun. Enjoy picking out pumpkins, hay rides, a corn maze, and a petting zoo. Call the Fowlers today at 812-327-4895 or 812 all right, folks, and we're back. And yes, please check them out because they are definitely a beautiful wedding barn. Now, RV, I also want to talk about you also proclaim you have memory issues and vision issues sometimes. So what does having a lot of concussions mean to you? I have had several concussions and had no lasting damage from any of them. All the effects would usually go away in a couple seconds. I've had a few where it lasted like till like the next day. It was not very many. And then a lot of my friends were not like that. They had symptoms like all the time, permanent ones. And so I kind of felt, you know, like I was lucky. And then in November of 2016, I just took one bump on the back of the head and it wasn't even a solid one you saw it in the movie headstrong right it took yeah. like a, took like a weird mexican kind of arm drag where i rolled through and when i stood up everything was kind of uh it spun around and then it split into two and i could see double happens a lot i usually shake it off and it goes away sometimes i need to grab the referee and tell him like hey i need a second which i did but it wasn't going away. And so I was like, well, I got to continue the match. You know, the show must go on. I've certainly continued the match under worse conditions, but I figured I'll just start jumping around, moving around and it'll go away on its own, you know, probably before I even lock up with the guy. But it stuck around. I stuck around all night. I could see fine out of either eye if I closed one eye, but out of both of them, I saw double and that stuck around. It lasted a long time. And I learned a lot more than I ever thought that I would about concussions. I had already donated my brain and spine and was part of the research, but now I had to visit a neurologist and, you know, get MRIs, which thank God when I looked at the MRI, there was no, uh, there was no signs of CTE, which was a major concern. They can't check everything, but abnormalities, dark areas, uh, inflammation, there's stuff that they would show up and I had a few doctors say everything was fine there. So I did vision therapy and uh, the doctors were learning just like me when I would ask them, you know, how long is this going to last? I don't know. Is it going to completely go away someday? I think so. It like, was one of those RVD moments. You're like, again, meh. <laughs> it's just that the studies were so new that they weren't able to tell me a whole lot. And it's like going through that, I'm just part of the study. You know, they would, I'm like, you mean for years, I could have double vision. And then one day, all of a sudden, boom, be 100%. And they're like, yeah, I think so. Like they were just like, you know, do the therapy, hope for the best. And the therapy did help. And, you know, the double vision did go away. I can still trigger it sometimes when I tilt my head like a, a certain way. 
if I still did therapy, it would probably strengthen it. And it's probably something we should all do anyway. After that, I tested normal, you know, for vision and stuff. I've always had to wear glasses or contacts because my, my eyes have always been kind of bad, but my reactionary time and everything there is normal. Also, let me ask you this then. This was a question that Mick Foley asked in his AE biography. He said, was it worth it? So for you with your hardcore and although you may get some bruises at the end of the day and you're like stiffened back some days or whatever you're with your concussions so let me ask you was it worth it in your eyes oh absolutely absolutely i mean i'm in great great shape i can still do stuff that i've always been able to do i thought when i was younger that 50 year old man sounded like an old man now that i'm 51 i'm looking at 70 year olds like well they kind of look old but they're not doing backflips and splits and uh i enjoy life i'm at my favorite part of my life right now i think that people are brought up to believe that their childhood is their best part of their life and after that it's all downhill but that's status quo thinking and that's based on regular parents who maybe don't enjoy their adulthood as much or whatever but for me i didn't enjoy the pressure of having to try to fit in as a kid still don't enjoy it as an adult there's certain things that i obviously have stood against which has made me champion my principles of being one of a kind now yeah you are one. i think just based on talking to you if it makes you feel any better you are one of a kind so are you we all are i think we all are too and with living old, you know, you may be able to look at 80 because I have two grandfathers. One of them is like over 80 and he's, yeah. and he's still going. I mean, he's, he's basically a, like a hay farm person. He still goes on the farm. He goes out and does stuff, you know, like works out, not works out, but works. Uh, so he's still moving around for his age. And yeah. so I'm just telling you, you can definitely go to 80. Billy Gunn is like uh, near 60 and he's just so ripped. He looks like he looks as good as any 30 year old in the gym. He's got that physical bodybuilder physique um but there's a lot of inspirations you know ddp is an inspiration and i think because of just modern education you know pharmacology things that we're learning about health and nutrition i think that the age life expectancy for people will continue to rise we're able to enjoy more out of life than 100 years ago when people only lived to be 35 yeah definitely the age rate is definitely going up now also you mentioned your headstrong documentary you're trying your best to be a better person sometimes what do you think you do to be a better person i study life everything is a learning experience every engagement with another person every conversation i'm aware of energy energy exchange i'm hyper aware of it hypersensitive to it and so i keep conscious of my own energy and try to keep it up try to keep my vibration and frequency at its best because that makes me at my best that has to do with feeling good and you know you make other people feel good and it makes you feel good i believe in karma i know that karma rules my life and so um, i enjoy a lot of gifts and blessings from life and i try to act in such a way that will continue to bring blessings i know all about balance i know sometimes i gotta bite the bullet and gotta go through some crappy times but i'm thankful that my crappy times aren't as bad as other people's crappy yeah. And you think sometimes your crabby ties even make you stronger as a better person. You said once you take it as it comes. And I agree with you. I think that life philosophy is excellent. I think I've been a lot more of a happier person due to taking it as it comes because that way your plans and whatever isn't heartbroken. You believe yeah. it when you see it, as you said, and that's how I've been. I know it sounds defensive, 
but I, hey, oh, you're right. that's how that I am. It has a lot to do with living in the moment and uh, dropping expectations because expectations can lead to disappointment or it's standards that have to be met. It's great to just, like you said, take it as it comes and not expect anything. It's a great way. It really, to, to it really, it. really is, man. I got, when you said on your headstrong, I agreed with you hundred percent. I'm like, I'm not the only one who believes it. <laughs> nope. No, All right. Like-minded there. Yes, we are. Now, right folks, way. we'll be right back. We're about Perfection Autoglass, so we'll get to it. Perfection Autoglass is the largest independent autoglass company in the state of Indiana, serving Bloomington, Fishers, Terre Haute, Greenwood, Anderson, and Muncie. They specialize in all aspects of autoglass repair and replacement on everything from domestic and import vehicles, RVs, heavy trucks, and equipment repairing glass, outside mirrors, windows, regulators, and motors. Perfection Autoglass has trained and certified technicians that Calibrate the camera attached to your windshield to ensure your lane departure warning and ADS safety features are working properly. Their staff has more than 100 years of combined experience and uses only uses the highest quality glass and sealants in the industry. If your windshield or windows are damaged in any way, just have them replaced it or repaired as soon as possible for the safety of you and your loved ones. They offer both in-shop and mobile services as well as same-day service. Perfection Autoglass works directly with all insurance companies and their staff is committed to the highest level of quality service and attention to details that customers have come to expect. They understand that getting your vehicle back on the road as soon as possible is important to you. You can visit them online at perfectionautoglassindiana.com to learn more about their services and for a free quote, which I think is kind of cool by the way, may I add. But anyway, please call Perfection Autoglass for any and all your auto glass needs. All right, folks, are back. And yes, please check them out because they are perfect. Now, I also, RVD, want to talk about to you about your girlfriend, Katie Forbes. Wife. So, my wife. Yeah. Oh, wife. Oh. Last time, last time I watched it, she said girlfriend. Yeah, we got married in November. Hey. Hey, how you doing? Good. So, since she's here, how would you describe her from your perspective? She's the coolest person that I ever met. And I've never had a bond or relationship with another person like that, where it's so open and honest and, and she doesn't second guess anything that I'm saying. She believes me when I tell her that I don't lie, that I just speak the truth. And it's devoid of so much unnecessary drama and stress just leaves so much room for happiness so didn't matter that we came from different places or different ages or different backgrounds or anything we just bonded like magic from the very first moment awesome now how would you describe rvd katie how would i describe him yep he is my favorite person in the whole world i love being with him and mm -hmm. waking up to him and being married to him so i feel so lucky and i love looking at him because he's fine but also i, I love what a good person he is and his honesty and his integrity and the love he shows me is just out of this world. That's awesome. It seems like, it seems like you got a good one. If it makes you feel any better. Yeah, he is the best. That's why I picked him out six years ago. And RV, we're about to wrap up. So these are just your favorite things. So what is like your paradise meal or your favorite food? And why is it your favorite? Yakiniku. Yeah, I guess that's true. If I'm looking to treat myself, which I have been known to indulge in treating myself with uh, luxuries. But uh, Yakiniku, I was saying we need to find a place in Las Vegas that has Yakiniku. It's Japanese barbecue, high quality. There was a place in LA I used to love going to, and it, 
It's a bit pricey, but it's high quality uh, beef and you have the grill on your table and you cook it yourself. Um, yeah. I've never had Japanese uh, yakanaku or yeah, yakaniku. I never it's, had it. Well, I learned how to eat it in Japan. You know, my first several years going to Japan, I tried not to spend any money because that's what you do because it's so expensive over there. And when you first start going over there, you bring big bags of tuna fish. I don't know why, because you can get tuna there, but mm-hmm. you, you bring all this food and it's hard to carry around. And Sabu used to wrestle for a different company than me in Japan. But when he came to all Japan and we both worked for Giant Baba, he taught me to go ahead and, you know, find a Yakiniku. There's always... There's always a Yakiniku somewhere in town, even if you have to take a cab ride. And even if the hotel tells you no, you can find one if you ask enough. And then I quit losing 20 pounds per tour. Yeah, was able to just eat that delicious beef. It like uh, kind of almost melts in your mouth. And the sesame dressing on their salad, like definitely, I'm going to go ahead and put that in. That's my favorite meal. And that's why. I want to go there tonight now. <laughs> yeah. All right. For real. That sounds bad. I mean, I'm a big, I'm like you though, with the barbecue chicken, I'm a big carnivore person like i'm like the buffalo wings like i think i'm partially the idiot who likes it as hot as hell basically okay that's basically me or or like the carnivore meat pizza like your salami bacon ham Mm -hmm. all that that's like up my alley like the like meat is definitely my way to go and medium Mm -hmm. rare steak my mother hasn't been had steak in a while because of a certain incident but i know yeah, I can help it. When you really uh, start taking uh, a look at your at all your blood levels and everything, you, sometimes you learn red meat. There's a reason they don't they discourage you from eating red meat every single day. But I used to not care. I'd eat hamburgers and then I'd go out and eat the beef at night or whatever. And and then like uh, keep an eye on my cholesterol. That's yeah. what it was. And I was like cut way back, replace it with chicken. And I was eating eggs every single day. I changed it to egg whites and my I saw my cholesterol go down. I can't remember exactly. It was several years ago, but it was like 152 and it went down to like 118 or something. And it was, it was so easy to do. But anyway, you know, you're young. You probably don't have to worry about any of that. You could actually be surprised. I had to worry about several stuff. I have a severe food allergy to peanuts. So I have to be very careful with peanut allergies and that stuff they're probably in stuff you don't even know about if you're not careful huh? no they are you it's about a lo- lot more lenient now i can it's, if it says may contain peanuts we had to you know we used to be the people had to look at the ingredients on the back and be like contains uh, peanuts yep then we ain't eating that yeah sometimes on the airplane they'll say someone has a peanut allergy so don't eat the snacks like if uh, i guess the allergies could be so bad that if it's around you it could affect yeah you. I, that's with some people with me it's i can smell like if you put a peanut like right here it's uh, and I get a whiff. It's like whatever. But if it goes in the mouth, it's a whole new ball game. Now the final question is like, are there any good memories you want to share with our listeners? If you do, why do you remember that? An- why do you remember that memory the most? Before you answer though, I always like to end with like good memory that just made you feel good at the end of the day, and like a funny oh, memory that made you laugh and fall on the floor. Tell the story about us. You can tell them the story about our wedding. Give them wedding details. You tell it. Okay. Yeah. So Rob and I, uh, we got married this past November on 11-11. And we got married at a rooftop in Vegas with the skyline view. And our family, like the little kids, our nieces and nephews were in the wedding. And our family was there. And some other wrestlers, DDP was there. And he gave a speech. Oh, and Candice Michelle was their ordained minister. Keller Cross was there. Scarlett uh... Bordeaux. Chris Bay. It was star studded, but it was just the most magical night of our lives. And we had a DJ and 
everybody but Rob, he doesn't dance, but everybody was dancing and it was just a really beautiful, bright celebration. You're like my father. You both are party poopers, sort of. <laughs> yeah, I'm the party one. He just shows up, though. And then I like to dance and party. At least he shows up. That, at least he gives you something. Yeah. I'm more of a people watcher. And that's something else that's different from my character and uh, the real me is that uh, I'm usually the quiet guy in the room. You know, like I, I feel like when I say something, I'd rather have it mean something. Whereas other people, their mouths open all day long and they say so much and I ignore what they're saying anyway, you know, and that's not like me, but my character is quite boisterous, loud and proud and, and braggadocious. But in real life, you know, someone says, so what do you do for a living? I'm like, oh. <laughs> watch this and you'll know. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you have any funny matters you could share with us before we head out? Made you um, laugh or you where you made a butt of where you were the butt of the joke even? You know, I was I was just thinking I'm working on a autobiography book actually and I'm uh, collecting like some stories and stuff. And actually just this morning I was uh, remembering this time when I was in uh, Vancouver in Canada, which is a really cool um city. But I've been known to be snug in the ring, and there's been several times that I've kicked somebody hard enough to knock them out, you know, several times. And this happened in a match in Vancouver against uh, Rene Dupree. When that happens, you know, Rene's young and he's cool. I'm sure things are going to be fine. But a lot of times wrestlers get mad if they get hit too hard. If you bust them open, they want to fight afterwards in the dressing room. And so when you knock somebody out, you never know how they're going to feel. You know, they might be really mad. I don't know. So I never want to take my boots off. I always wait around, you know, it's happened lots of times, you know, like I, one time I kicked Ryback back in the mouth and afterwards I couldn't get undressed. I knew that he was all right. Cause I didn't want him jump running up, up behind when I'm, I got one boot off or something. Brene, uh, when he made it back to the dressing room, he, of course he was like, uh, what happened? And that happens sometimes it's a concussional uh, symptom, but when you get hit, your short-term memory is gone. And sometimes you can't hold on to new information either. So you ask over and over again, like he did every few minutes, wait, wait, what happened? You know, cause even though you tell the story, you know, I kicked you, boom, boom, boom. They'll say, oh my God, R Renee had a weird uh, side effect that I've never seen before but the kick made him happy and he had a really goofy buzz. He had a really goofy buzz and he was in the best mood. He got the giggles <laughs> and he was just laughing and laughing. And so it made me laugh, you know, like I felt bad that I knocked him out. But, but there um, you go. It makes this good moment. You never know. Yeah. Bad cases sometimes turn into really good cases though at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah. It ended up being really funny <laughs> because he couldn't stop laughing. He gave him the giggles. He gave him the giggles. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so there's there's a story that comes to mind. Well, Robin and Aaron, I think that's all. And thank you for being on the show. Is there anything you want to say before you go? And thank you, Ms. Ford, for coming in. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, good luck with uh, everything and uh, bringing awareness to yeah. autism like you're doing. Good job with that. I think we all know uh, some people that, that are affected by autism. And uh, you can follow me anywhere at The Real RVD if you want to look for me on social media. Katie, where are you at? You can follow me at the Katie Forbes. Right now it's just Twitter, but I'll be back on Instagram. I got taken down, but everybody can find me on Twitter.
Thanks for joining me for this episode. Please turn for another episode coming in very soon. Hope you enjoyed listening to me ramble. Thank you very much.